This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 52 of Aviation Careers Podcast. And uh, today I have with me, again, a frequent co-host, Eric Crump. And we're going to answer your questions today. We have quite a few questions. Welcome again to Aviation Careers Podcast, Eric. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me on again. Well, Eric, it's always terrific to have you uh, on the podcast. And actually, last time you were here, we did something really cool and it was actually after we podcast. I got to talk to some of the folks here, some of the students, and uh, we also did something else. Do you remember what that was? We actually got to uh, crawl through a Boeing 727 and uh, sit up in the cockpit. Um, and if you recall correctly, I actually promoted you and let you sit in the left seat, and you are welcome for that. Uh, it was very difficult to give up, give up the chance to, to be your captain, but I decided I was going to let you sit left seat. Well, I do have more gray hair, so therefore I must must be the captain there. But the the seven twenty seven we were actually in, uh, Eric. You know a little bit about that? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the the seven two. Sure. So as FedEx is retiring their seven twenty seven fleet and replacing it with the much more fuel efficient seven fifty seven. Um, they have been in a process for many years of donating those aircraft to aviation education programs and um, some to the museum community, but mostly for education. They wanted to be used in an educational context. Usually they go to uh, maintenance schools because uh, it's obviously a working airplane and students get a lot of experience working with different parts of the airplane. For this particular one, though, it was donated to Sun and Fun, uh, just right down the road from where we are right now, um, to serve not only uh, Sun and Fun's partners here in this area, but really any student, any teacher that wants to come in and, and go through the 727. Cool part about that, um, and my one shameless plug for Sun and Fun, which is coming up in just a couple weeks. Um, if you're here, the 727 is going to be open, so you can actually walk through it and get your own cockpit picture made, um, and so you can get in and experience what uh, what the inside of a 727 looks like, which actually uh, was my first commercial airline flight in a 727. So I always like getting in them. It's a little flashback to the past. Well, that's cool. I actually used to commute on a 7-2, but hey, you know, sun and fun, by the way, if you uh, get a chance, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, and in the bottom right corner, you'll see sun and fun radio. You can actually listen to past uh, air shows and also listen to the current air show live if you can't make it to that. And of course, you might be listening to this uh, a year from now. And we do have pre recorded all the different radio interviews we've had and shows that are at Sun and Fun. It's so much fun to listen to. You get to listen to some really interesting pilots. Uh, you know, this isn't just about aviation careers as far as flying, it's about the passion for aviation. And, and we need to remember that. And that's what Sun and Fun does. It does promote the passion of aviation. I think that's wonderful. Well, Eric, I got to do something really cool. I uh, did my first flight to South America and uh, had a wonderful time, flew down from uh, Fort Lauderdale down to Lima, Peru, and that was really neat. I've never uh, flown, done a lot of Central America, but no South America. But I didn't get to see in the past the canal, and it was incredible, the Panama Canal. And the Panama Canal is huge. You don't realize how big it is until you fly over it. And with all the ships on one end and the ships on the other end waiting to go through the canal, it's just a wonderful sight. Did it at night. It's all lit up. It's beautiful. I wish I, I could have taken a picture. But uh, also going down to uh, South America, one thing you don't realize is how big the Andes are. A lot of my flights have been you know, the Caribbean and also the western United States. Some of their low hills 
are bigger than our biggest mountains here in the U.S., and it's just phenomenal. Uh, and there's lakes, actually, that are as, as high as our highest mountains here in the U.S., just just amazing. So if you ever get a chance, get down to Lima. It's a wonderful place. One thing that really impressed me about Lima is the airlines are all brand new. All the airplanes are brand new. They have 787s, Airbuses, and 737s, all, and you know A330s. It's incredible, the, the aircraft that they have down there. Well, that's that's my story. And I always like to, to give you a quick, you know, what we're doing and, and what's been fun in aviation lately and in our jobs. Uh, we do get to see some really cool things uh, hanging out at the airport. As a matter of fact, today, uh, while we're recording this, the B-29, we're at Lakeland Linder Airport. The B-29 is on the north side of the field, and they're giving rides. And that, that uh, aircraft, actually, you can go online and find that. We'll have a link to that where you can actually get a ride throughout the United States. But it's going to be here in Lakeland until uh, after Sun and Fun. So as you can tell, we're all excited about Sun and Fun. Can't, can't wait till it gets started. Well, Eric, you ready uh, for some questions? Absolutely. Do I get to say what I got to do? My fun thing? Oh, what'd you do today? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be excluded. I had a really cool week, too. Um, So actually, it uh, didn't happen today, but um, it never gets old. Uh, Last week, um, I got to cut the shirt tail off of one of my students. And... um, you know, I don't, I don't get to, I don't get to harass them all when they have a big aviation milestone. But I really love it. It's one of the things that I love most about my job, and um, it's funny because the, when the parents come in, a lot of them will come in for their first solo or something like that, and uh, they're just like, you know, bumfuzzled by why we cut the shirt tail off. So I get to tell a story, I get to explain, and um, it's just really interesting to get to do that and just to see that. I mean, the students all keyed up and excited anyway because they just flew an airplane by themselves for the first time, and then everybody gets around them and cheers them on, and we cut their clothes off of them. Well, not their, all their clothes. <laughs> it's not that kind of program. But uh, cut their shirt tail off and just uh, you know get to experience that with them. It's, I, it never gets old. It doesn't matter how many times I've done it. How many students and you know I didn't get to do his first solo form. It was one of our instructional staff, but to be there to be a part of it, it's always fun. I enjoy it and I love that look in their face. And, and for those folks that uh, haven't had that experience yet, uh, when you solo, normally they'll do that. They'll cut the the back of your shirt off, and that's an old old tradition. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll get somebody to write on the back of your shirt, make some kind of artist rendition of the aircraft. As a matter of fact, when I used to solo students, we actually had an artist on the field that would actually paint the aircraft on the back of the shirt for an additional cost. Of course, did a wonderful job, an incredible job, and uh, they had something they could share with their family for the rest of their life. So when you solo, that's what you're going to get. There's solo certificates, but they're not. Not as much fun as tearing the shirt off your back. And if it's a really cold climate, a lot of guys wear an undershirt underneath that over a shirt. Right. It's, if actually, um, we need to go down to flight ops later. We've got a lot of shirt tails hanging on the wall right now because it's that time of year when everybody's getting to the point of solo in, in, in their curriculum. But uh, you need to go down and leave them a message. Yes. Exciting. I, I tell you, that is, is an exciting part of your career. But that's just the start. And, uh, you know, right here we're trying to teach you how to get from that point to the point where you've achieved your career goal. You know, before you get started, if you do appreciate this podcast, I appreciate you going out to Aviation Careers Podcast and check out our sponsors. They're on the right side of the field, on the right side of the uh, 
the uh, screen there, field. Of course, I'm thinking airplanes and airports. But uh, there's another thing you could do is if you uh, want to donate or you want to get some of the information that we have, the premium products we have, you can also become a member. And you can find out about the membership right there. It's really easy to click on that. So aviationcareerspodcast.com, and you can click on the membership options. All, another thing I mentioned last podcast, and I didn't really talk about it much, is uh, – you know, a lot of times I listen to audiobooks, and I think it's a really good thing to keep motivated. Uh, one of the things that I do is I use Audible. We have a link. If you sign up for Audible, you get actually one book free, and you can actually download that using a code aviationcareerspodcast.com slash audible, or click on our Audible link on the website. So let's move on to the questions here. Uh, we have some listener mail. This is actually the first one's a follow-up question uh, from somebody who we've been discussing the airlines and the regional airlines and downsizing. He gives it. There's a link to an article which I'll have at aviationcareerspodcast.com in this this episode, and it talks about the regional unit of American Airlines. It's called American Eagle, actually downsizing and uh, changing the way they do business based on the fact that the American Eagle pilots have decided not to go with the current contract. One of the things that was written into me from a listener is a question that, that, and here it goes, says, if American Airlines wants to farm out their regional operations, how are they going to do that when regional carriers don't have enough pilots now to meet the current demand? That's just a, a systemic problem, uh, whether they did this or not. Uh, what what this will do is, and this is a great topic, we could talk all day long about uh, what's happening with the regionals, uh, but if they were to move this flying to another regional airline, they could ramp that up fairly quickly. But what happens is this, is the fact that when it goes to another airline, another regional airline, they actually, those same pilots say that have been there for 10, 15 years making really good money, will now have to go work for another airline, especially if they close down the current airline that's flying. They're going to work for a lot less money, therefore the major is going to save a lot of money. As you notice, uh, over the past decade, things have changed. They've changed to them doing more outsourcing to different airlines. I remember when I first started uh, I was flying for an airline was the exclusive carrier for that major. As a matter of fact, I had a seniority number at that major airline. Now over 14 other carriers are vying for that regional flying. So what does that tell you? They go to the lowest bidder. And you know what has happened? Some of those carriers have gone away. And those people that were working there as a senior captain had to start all over at another regional at a much lower pay. So, uh, no, they can't. Uh, I think one of the confusions is the fact that they could take one of these senior captains and fire them and put them at the, another airline as a captain. Uh, that's not really how it works. Uh, what happens is uh, they, they would just move you or move a lot of that flying to another regional uh, basically, uh, that person would have to make a decision if they're a super senior captain. Should they go to that other regional or just uh, start over again? And I think that's what discourages a lot of people in this regional business especially is that because they've shifted so many regionals. I mean, look at me. How many regionals did I fly for? I said, well, one, two, three, four. So I've been through four different initial hires at regionals. And that was within four years. So it's it can be uh, pretty dramatic, especially in the beginning of the career. Right now, as we're recording this, we're having a boom time. But that could turn around, uh, and people don't realize that. So you really have to be, be cognizant of your current environment. But in, in reality, um, I know there's people that love the certain regional airlines and want to stay there. But just realize that their argument at these regionals is that you're going to come work for them and you're just there to build time to move on to the majors, which is unfortunate that that's true because there's so many regionals and so much flying that's going on that is really a lot of fun. I actually really liked flying at the regionals. I really, really liked it a lot. 
I miss doing the flying. I miss the short hops. Uh, that's part of it that I miss. I mean, the, the, obviously the paycheck's different uh, and the, the airplane's different. I, I love my job now, but I really miss that. So if I could do both, they haven't been able to do that for me. I'd, I'd, I'd like to do both, but, but that's just the reality of, of uh, the situation. So you're probably not going to want to stay at the regionals forever. Again, this contracting is going to continue. I don't, I don't think that's going to change anything. Uh, any comments there as far as what I've said, Eric? No, I'll say the contract model of the regional airlines is not specific just to regional airlines. When you look at uh, the way we're doing initial pilot training now, my collegiate program, for example, is brand new. Nobody's going out and buying a fleet of airplanes and running that anymore. Um, that all gets handled by contract flight training providers. Uh, because, and for a lot of reasons, there's upkeep, there's insurance, there's all sorts of things like that where, um, you know, in collegiate aviation anyway, taking on a huge cost when, as, as a state institution, there's not... I can't go find a couple million dollars to go out and buy airplanes and and cover them under our existing insurance policy and things like that. So the contract model is is not that far. And I think people look at it and go, oh, my goodness, this is going to kill everything. If you look at just general business, a lot of your millennials will never work at at the company that they work for. They work as consultants and, and contractors, and that's sort of just the new U.S. economy business model. I, I, so don't look at that and say, you know, it's, you know, the regionals are just doing everything or the majors are doing everything wrong contracting out to regionals. Well, I mean, that's kind of just the way our entire economy is going. Rather than keeping all of that overhead in and under yourself, contracting, and like Carl said, it does allow you to sort of play one party off of another and find a low bidder, which in the end will save you some money. I'm not saying it's the best thing since sliced bread. I'm just saying it's not a completely uncommon concept. There are plenty of other places where that model is being used and being used very successfully. And and to add to that, just as some people know, this is uh, my second or third career, really. Uh, I had done contracting for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I had a computer contracting business many years ago. And uh, that model works perfectly well for companies that know that they only need a temporary workforce. They have a core set of, of employees. But you, you actually will see certain companies contracting out uh, the, a whole department within their company to do that work. And, yeah, they're paying a lot more money. But then again, in the long run, they're, they're actually paying less because they don't have to pay all the benefits. And at the end, they finish the contract, it's over, and, and moves on to the next person. The regional's contract to the majors, okay, that's a, that's a contract. But there's another part of this, too. It's called contract flying. And that's a little bit different. When we t- and try not to get confused between the two. As a contract pilot, it's, it's a totally different ballgame. As a matter of fact, I know contract pilots that do fairly well. Normally, as a contract pilot, though, you're going to have to have a little more experience. As a matter of fact, a lot of contract pilots I know have done the regional thing already, gained their experience, got their time, and then started going out. And they're getting paid quite a bit of money. I and mean, there's jobs out there that you can pay a good thousand bucks a day to do contract work. I also have done contract instructing. And I, and I think you have also, Eric, where you can actually make some extra money as a contractor. And that's why when people ask, can I make money as a flight instructor, you sure can and uh, make pretty good money as a part-time instructor. Well, moving to the next question here. I, think, I appreciate that question about the, uh, and the comment about the regional airlines at American Eagle. Uh, this is a simple one. Uh, it comes from someone saying that, uh, do you think 
that commercial aircraft will ever get sucked into the drone bonanza. I like I like the terminology drone bonanza. And, and you know what's interesting is, you know, I've talked about having people on that have, are flying drones right now. The majority of them are under top secret clearance, or they've done it in the past, so uh, they can't actually come on the show. So uh, one may. Uh, may get clearance to do it, but they have to be real careful about what they talk about. I will say, though, within the military, the word is right. Bonanza is correct. Drones are being used for many different things, and there's a lot of folks, and you'll see some questions from folks that are actually uh, flying drones right now, and they want to know how they can get back into flying the actual airplane. I don't think commercial aircraft will will get sucked into the drone bonanza. Uh, the possibility maybe of of cargo, but I don't see it anywhere in the near future. There's so many darn decisions you have to make. Um, there, there is not no such thing as collateral dam- damage in the commercial airline field, and we see that in the battlefield. We will never see that in the commercial airline world because you're 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 not losing aircraft; you're losing passengers and people, and that that will never happen. I don't think you may have the possibility of a <clears throat> maybe some less pilots on the flight deck, but I think we've seen most of that go the, by the wayside. There's very few three-pilot uh, flight decks out there. Um, you may actually have the ability to have just one person up there for a while and let the other person rest. That's something that I think may happen, and that's total conjecture right there. Yeah, I was just gonna, that was exactly where I was going to go with it. I mean, when you look at the old airline model with the flight engineer, um, and as more automation came on the scene and with autopilots and things like that, we got rid of the flight engineer station. Um, are we ever in a position where we're getting rid of the co-pilot? I, I don't see that anytime soon, but it's certainly a possibility. Because if you look at how we got to where we are now, it was with increased automation. Well, what are, you know, what is the sentient programming type stuff they're putting in drones, the sense and avoid type stuff where where they're they're almost to the point where we're talking about, you know, artificial intelligence movies, you know, and things like that, Skynet type stuff where the drones are going to take over the earth or whatever, um, where, where the... Uh, where the unmanned aircraft are actually capable of looking for um, obstructions in other aircraft and making a decision about how to avoid those targets. That's a huge deal. Um, one of my faculty members actually is uh, 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 hes a full employee for the government, a civilian contractor, but works in unmanned aircraft. And um, as you said, there's not much he can talk about about what he does at work all day. Um, but at the same time, uh, just just seeing the rate at which improvement is going on in that field right now, um, it does lead to some very interesting, purely conjecture, obviously, but it it does lead to some interesting questions about where we're going to be in the next five to ten years on the civilian side. But really, any conjecture that we that we want to come up with or any you know all we want to throw around, it all comes down to what the FA does with the civilian regulations. Until we know what that looks like, what the training requirements are, what the operational requirements are. There's really no point in even having the conversation, in my opinion. I mean, it's cool to talk about while you're sipping coffee or whatever, but to even to even think about what it might look like or what the timeline would be, you know, if, if we can't even um, – if we're getting to the point where we own the airspace from one inch above the ground all the way up to the moon, well – no, <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think that's what the regulations say. And so, you know, when we start talking about the civilian implementation of um, of unmanned aircraft, that's going to bring up a whole plethora of issues. I think you'll start to see it first in your pipeline patrol and your um, aerial survey and stuff like that. Whether we're hauling people around with unmanned aircraft. Not anytime soon. I mean, I I wouldn't feel comfortable flying in an airplane when the, where the computer is completely flying it. Although at the same time, knowing that 
know, that Carl is probably just asleep and the, the, the computer's <laughs> flying him around anyway. No, I'm kidding. Just a joke. Uh, the automation is great. And, and as Carl knows, it really comes down to how the pilot uses the automation to determine whether it's a help or a hindrance. And that's especially true in general aviation. Whether we can get to the point where we trust our automation so much that we're willing to completely get out of the cockpit and let it do its job without us watching it, that's a, a bigger question, I think. Yeah, and remember, Star Trek still had a captain. So that's uh, that's my argument right there. No, But but in all seriousness, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I'll give you a good example. I was on a flight uh, not too long ago where we were trying to get to a specific destination, and it turns out that uh, dispatch had forgotten that there was, or maybe just didn't see it, uh, that there was a volcano erupting along our path of flight. So that's a, a pretty serious issue. So we need to look at that and say, okay, where do we need to fly to get around that volcano? But but you can catch those. There's so much automation within the dispatch world and within our world that if you just looked at this information that you received, you probably would not have caught that. You know, I would never blame the dispatcher for that. But we dug deeper. And as pilots, that's what we do. We have this incredible awareness of what's going on around us that there's no computer that's been able to do that and then it it just there's this gut feeling that you have as a pilot say hey wait a minute something's wrong here and uh, sure enough found out where that volcano was erupting and just uh, just had to alter our course uh, slightly but it was it was an issue that that was never brought up and if it wasn't for the humans uh, interacting that probably wouldn't have happened Uh, would the flight have been safe sure wouldn't have been as safe as when we uh, interacted there uh, so yeah, I would uh, I would definitely say that that's going to be a long time before we ever have passenger airlines, unmanned passenger airlines, maybe uh, unmanned passenger rail. I could see that that's happening now, but you know, as far as as people, it's a whole different ballgame. We're not riding on rails. We it's a very dynamic uh, environment, flying over the seas, etc. And remember this. Uh, I think in light of some instances lately, there was uh, uh, Malaysian Airlines that went missing. Uh, there's a lot of folks don't realize when we're out over the ocean, we are on our own. Uh, we have some communication. We have some radar, but there's nobody that can see us on radar unless it's the military. Uh, the whole world is not covered in this radar. So we are on our own, and we are the captain of the ship, so we have to make all these decisions while we're out there. So that's really important. We're, we're never going to get away from that, especially flying overseas until, like like Eric said, every piece of airspace has been is controlled from the ground up, which it's going to be a long time. Uh, not in my lifetime, and I don't think in your lifetime either. So, that, uh, yeah, the gr- drones are out there. I think they're wonderful tools. I think they're really cool. And it's going to be quite some time till drones fly with other aircraft in the system. It's going to be a long time from now, maybe never, when we see drones actually flying passengers around. So I wouldn't worry about that. We're going to need pilots. And the next question is from somebody from last episode concerning networking in a corporate job. We were to talk with Tom Wachowski, but he never got a chance to to come online, but he did write back. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read his response to uh, this question about networking in corporate jobs. Tom starts uh, and says, you know, Carl asked me to respond to your email below. He says, how do you actually approach an individual and what do you say to them? Well, his answer is, it depends. Often while traveling, corporate pilots are busy. So you see someone in uniform at an airport, ask if they have time to talk. If they say yes, tell them your story. Keep it short and ask for their advice. Also, ask them for a business card and ask if you can follow up with them if they have any questions at a later date. Then use the business card to send them a handwritten thank you letter. Also, 
look for local corporate pilots on LinkedIn and reach out to them. You might have to pay for an upgrade LinkedIn membership to mail them through LinkedIn. And I'll have a a link, by the way, to LinkedIn and how to get on there. He continues, send them customized requests to connect. Again, your short story, ask for advice over email or coffee. I've had great success with this technique in my own career. Another location to find corporate pilots is through NBAA, and I'll have a link to that, the National Business Aviation Association. Become a member, it's a bit pricey, and attend local events. You'll find lots of corporate pilots at these events, as well as people you know of open pilot positions and future opportunities. Again, give your short story, ask for advice, and a business card. Should you start networking right now? Yes, it's never too early to begin and foster new relationships in the corporate aviation world. Sure, flight experience plays a part in landing corporate positions, but more importantly, most corporate operators look for and want to hire people that fit the culture and get along with a crew and passengers during trips. Is it easier to find these folks when applying from out of nowhere, or is it easier to find these folks after knowing them for some time? following their rise through the ranks, and staying updated on their continued passion for the business. In the majority of circumstances, the latter holds true in corporate aviation. Relationships reduce risk for the hiring party, so start building them today. Hope this helps all my best, Tom. And that's Tom Wachowski, and he is on uh, corporate hiring and all, is on uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 23. Uh, it's really interesting. It says, should you become an airline pilot? Career questions. But it's uh, more about the corporate side, too. And it's really neat stuff. It's real, really good, good stuff. So, yeah, Tom, I appreciate that. I hope that's helped with that question. Uh, Tom Wachowski also has a thing called the Pilot Jobs Book, which is uh, actually you can get on our websites for sale. But that's actually included with the, uh, the annual membership. So if you're looking for scholarships and all, do the annual membership. That way you can get that for free. It really works, the, the Pilot Jobs Book. And we're going to have him on again to talk a little bit more about that. The next um, question, or actually I think it's more of a comment, and I'm going to paraphrase this because it's, it's pretty long. Uh, it's actually, I think, even out there on, on the website as a comment. Uh, it's, uh, as a matter of fact, it's out there on comment as episode 23. It's a comment on episode 23. And he talks about, uh, you know, hey, this, uh, it's reasons why you should not become an airline pilot. And says, this guy is right on the money. And it talks about how he wanted to become a, uh, an airline pilot. And people were talking about how much money captains can make in the airlines, et cetera, making co-pilots starting at 120 and captains on 7-4 making 200. Uh, and, and you know what? It's interesting because that, that pay is not far from what it is today. Uh, you will make that much as a, se- a senior co-pilot or uh, a senior captain will make that much or, or more. I mean, that's that's pretty common. But he was in a, a military career, went through a lot of different airlines, airlines that uh, did some furloughs and laid people off and had some events with the, uh, let's see, the unions and strikes, et cetera. So it's it's pretty interesting. He uh, he was he, This person's a little bit jaunted as far as a career is concerned. He, his whole experience was a lot different. But one experience that he did relate was uh, while he was talking to or listening to a captain talk on the uh, phone with uh, his wife, his son was having an issue, and the wife was trying to work it out with the son. And here it is. This guy is from Australia, and here he is in the United States trying to deal with this issue from 
from far away. And uh, he was having, I guess he looked pretty darn distraught in his description, and he was having some real issues dealing with that. This is the point where the person that's making these comments realized that he made the right choice not to become an airline pilot. And if you go back to that episode, episode 23, it talks about the reasons not to become an airline pilot. One of them is the fact that you're away from your family and you can't immediately deal with this issue that's at hand right now. And I think this comes up in another question. Can you have a good family life? I think you can as an airline pilot. You just have to decide you know, what it is you want to do and how you want to change your life and your lifestyle. I'll give you a good example. People that commute, they're not going to be home as much. By commuting, I mean, say you live in Tampa and you work in New York like I was doing. That's a long commute. Uh, I now don't have to go as far because I moved the, my base, and it's been absolutely wonderful. I can go to work the same day and come home the same day after the trip's done. So the, the trip starts, I go, and I come home after that. And it lets you come see me more also. And that's true. I get to see Eric quite a bit more here in Lakeland. And, and that, it, it, you know, that's a good point, too. When you have other interests and hobbies or, like, I have this podcast, it actually has given me more time to work on this podcast, on Stuck Mike Avcast, Sun and Fun Radio, all those things that I get to do, I get to do more of. So there is a choice you have to make. Now, now let me preface this by saying there are people in the corporate world that travel more than I do, okay? So there are people in the sales that are on the road even more than I'm on the road. So that is not an issue that's that's unique to this industry, but it is an issue within this industry that you will have all the time because there's very few jobs out there where you just go to the airport, you fly, and you come home. Uh, but as you get more senior, now with that said, as you get more senior, there are people that do what's called day trips. You know, they go out to the airport, they fly, and they come back home. And I think, uh, you know, even Eric, you basically do day trips. Yeah, I mean, that was that was my corporate life. Um, you know, I, I think in three years, I might have had three overnights. You know, I, I picked the place that flew those routes. You know what I'm saying? So, I, and I've got to go back to second what Tom wrote. If you want to go into the corporate world, networking, networking, networking. I mean, that is it. I, I've seen people get corporate jobs who were working on their multi-engine rating. <laughs> I mean, they had no time. They had no experience. But they knew somebody. Somebody spoke up for him and said, hey, let this guy come sit right seat with me. He'll finish his training and everything, but while he's doing that, he needs to go ahead and get in the model, and uh, once, he gets his, uh, once he gets his rating done, uh, we'll check him out in the airplane. So you know, I've seen that happen so many times I couldn't even tell you, and it's, it's all about – I don't want to say it's all about who you know, but in reality it really is. Um, not to say that you know, incredibly qualified people can't get on with a corporate job not knowing somebody because that's certainly an avenue, but if you want to get hired in the corporate world – it is so much more about who you know than how much time you have in your logbook, which is a little bit of a flip when it comes to the airline model. Yeah, the airline model is a little different there, but uh, and but still, I mean, they want to they want to know who you are, but it's much more so in the case of the corporate pilot. It's it's very important that they know who you are, that type of thing. But yeah, the the whole lifestyle is an issue. But I I will say this is that I make my lifestyle so that I can have many days off. And I'm working harder when I'm off than when I'm actually flying because you know I have so many things going on on the internet, so many podcasts, that type of thing. So when I go to work, I relax. I, all I have to do is go fly the plane 
and go to the overnight, enjoy some type of local food from all these different countries, and then come home. I still like doing that. I love doing that. There are days it gets in the way, uh, especially I'll give you an example of a negative is the fact that I cannot hold weekends off because I changed airlines, and now I'm a little bit more junior, so I work every weekend. So that's tough for people that have normal jobs or nine-to-five jobs, I should say, where they actually have weekends off. And a good example is my wife. I mean, it's hard for us to get together sometimes. And, uh, yeah, we're ships passing in the night sometimes, but she also works quite a bit too. So we have to, we have to do a little more scheduling. Can it be done? Oh, yeah. A good example is I have, uh, I have a friend that's a senior pilot, and he flies out on Saturday, or excuse me, Friday night, and then he comes home Sunday night, and he runs a cement company Monday through Friday. And so he has that going on. So you can ha- do a lot of different things. If you ever notice, a lot of airline pilots have a lot of thing- other things going on because of the fact they can take time off. Then there's the flip side. Then there's the guys that just love to fly all the time and uh, want to go on trips. Uh, you know, we say we're away from our families, but one of the things you can do is bring your family with you. I mean, you can take your family, say I'm going to Aruba for the night. I could take my wife with me and go to Aruba for 24 hours. So there are some positives there. Uh, so, the, the, yes, there's negatives or positives, but I, I think that's true in any job. If you want to be at home every night, uh, the best thing to do, I would say, is get a corporate job that you are home every night or a flight instructor, do some kind of banner towing, whatever it is that can get you home every night. But uh, flying for the airlines, they go places, and they go places far away. You're going to have to stay there. That's the fact. Yeah, and also, you know, some people might want to get away from their family, <laughs> which was never my experience. But, I mean, I know the guys who are like, just just another day and a half, and I get to take a four-day trip. Whoa, I get out of here. It's funny you said that because a lot of people, especially with new babies, and you can talk about this. I, I've never experienced the whole child-rearing thing. But there are I see these guys that have kids, brand-new babies, and they just can't wait to get to the hotel to have a whole night by themselves in some type of silence and i'm sure that that you can comment on that until you get home and your wife has been with the screaming kid for three days then that's a completely different experience there's the old expression of absence makes the heart grow fonder you know why i didn't do a a lot of uh, of overnights uh in my corporate experience i actually travel more now having a traditional job than i did when i flew because i mean i would go places but it was always go and deadhead back or you know, uh, you know, go pick somebody up and come back home or go for a business trip and bring them back in the afternoon. And sometimes it was at the airport at three, four o'clock in the morning and back at eight, 10 o'clock at night. But, you know, and you maybe even think of that as an overnight because you're, you know, it's not like you're getting anything else done and you're pretty much wasted when that trip is over. But at the same time, I mean, I, I know the guys who, who went into the airlines, you know, they had a, a spouse who was active doing other things and, and so they actually they worked better having their you know they did their thing on their own and then when they got together it was just them there was no overlap you know now personally i like talking to my wife about what's going on with our kids and the plays my daughter wants to put on when no one else is looking and i i enjoy those conversations there are some people who don't have those conversations and their relationships are stronger for it we can podcast later about how to pick a mate but if you're going to go into aviation you have to understand it is a travel business that's the whole point that's why people do it so yeah there's going to be times when you're not at home even like i said before when i was doing the corporate thing full time you know i was in my bed basically every night. But I saw my wife more um, when I lived a state away and commuted home on the weekends than I did when we were living in the same house and I was in the bed every night because I was gone all during the day. So it's 
you know, there, there are trade-offs there. If, if I got to choose between day trips or, you know, three days a week when I was doing overnights, I, I don't know. It, it, and there are different parts of my life where I would have chosen different, uh, you know, different schedules. Um, but like you just said, that's the really cool thing about the airline model. Um, something comes up, life change or whatever, or, you know, you get tired of the schedule that you've got, you rebid. Find something that you like, or you move up in seniority, you can change your base. You can do things like that. You can find, you know, I really don't like living here anymore. Maybe we should move over to, I don't know, California. Well, okay. You know, let me let me rebid and see if we can get assigned to California. So, I mean, it's um, it's sort of almost like the military model where, you know, you you, know, you can get a transfer to a new base. Um, and it, that's all based on a lot of other things, which, you know, Carl can speak to. But it does allow you some flexibility to live different places and see different things and have different schedules throughout your career, which, you know, for me, keeps things from getting boring. You know, Eric, I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of those points because there are people that are interested in aviation but don't want to fly. And if this has convinced you not to go flying or to get into other aspects, like we do talk about other careers, it's not just about flying here. Uh, a good example of somebody who's passionate about flying, gets to be around at all time, is a good friend, Jamie Beckett, and, and he actually is another person who, just like Eric, gets to be around aviation, has found his niche, and he gets to be around passionate aviators all the time, and that's really, really cool. I know that uh, in the airline worlds, uh, it does turn into a job for some people, and just like other jobs can do, and they're pretty miserable, uh, but it's tough to leave that job. Here's what happens, though. When you get to be a senior pilot and you're making, you know, six figures, you know, 200000 a year as a senior captain, you know, it's tough to leave that job for something paying a heck of a lot less. So they feel trapped. They feel trapped by the money. And, uh, and I can understand that because now they realize it's just a job to them. But what happens to some people, like it happened to me, I was getting a little bit burnt out, is I got involved in something else. I started helping kids. I started uh, doing, helping people you know, that have lost their jobs in aviation, helping them find other jobs. And that totally changed my life. And that's the reason I started this podcast about 12 years after I started doing that. And that alone kept the passion going. But I have to also say that even if I wasn't doing that, I said to myself, how would I keep my passion going just as an airline pilot flying from point A to point B? One thing that I do is I try to figure something to do when I get there. I get very excited about one thing that I'm going to see when I get to my destination. You know, when I was going to Peru the other day, I didn't mention I actually got to try ceviche. And that they're very famous for the ceviche and the seafood is absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, just to be able to do that is, is wonderful. And to be able to actually see things that I have only seen in pictures, that was another incredible thing. And you get, the, you get comments from the people that are actually from there. As a matter of fact, I'm going back to Lima tomorrow, and I'm flying with a gentleman who is from Lima. And he has a house there, and so I'll, I'll be able to learn a lot more about their culture and about their history. And they're very proud. So there's just one thing. I mean, I'm not only flying a plane. I'm learning so much about the world. Is there an empty seat on that flight maybe you could hook me up with? There is. There is. As a matter of fact, I, you know, we're seeing a trend here, Eric. <laughs> I, think, I scratch your back. You scratch my back. We can make this work, Carl. I'm telling you. Yeah, that's another benefit, by the way, of the airlines. We talked about that before is the jump seat privileges. But also, you get this thing 
and it's it's called a buddy pass. Most airlines have it, where you can give it to your friends and family. Uh, some people joke that you give it to your enemies because if you give them a buddy pass, they can never get to their destination. Because when you're flying on a buddy pass, that everything's is based on your seniority. It's also based on the level of the pass. A buddy pass is usually at the bottom, and that's the ones you give your friends. And if the plane is anywhere near full, they're probably not going to get on. But uh, and. Yeah, that's there's always the joke with uh, one airline. They talk about the leaving uh, Honolulu uh, about once a week. They dust off all the pass riders because that's how long they've been been sitting there trying to get back. So jump seating, buddy pass riding is not always the best way to go. But with that said, I usually pick destinations that ha- that are wide open at different times of the year, and it it usually works out fairly well. Um, all right, moving on to our next question. It talks about bridging the gap says, hi, Carl, love your podcast. It's a great way for me to fill my long commute to and from work each day. I'm 30 years old and live by the beach in Sydney, Australia. I work as a corporate sales executive. However, I'm looking to make a career change as I have had a passion for aviation since I was very young, probably due to my grandfather's stories about being a bomb, oh, really, a bombard, um, bombardier on during world war ii you notice i was about to say bombardier because i've been flying that airplane so much uh, but anyway getting back he says uh, he, uh i was very young probably due to my grandfather's stories and being a bombardier during world war ii last year i managed to complete my uh, commercial pilot license airplane uh multi-engine instrument rating and cl- complete my atp ground school subjects it took me seven years to get this far okay so i was extremely excited to get past these major milestones i've applied recently to one of australia's regional airlines who are looking to fill positions in a trainee program the requirements include 250 total time 100 pic as well as commercial multi-engine instrument rating during my christmas break i did about 15 hours of flying in a duchess to build the time needed for me to reach the minimums needed to apply after about 10 days after I submitted my application to the airline, I received an email saying, thanks for your continued interest in working for blank. Uh, he doesn't put the airline down. However, due to the large number of applications, we have found you not to be competitive at this time. Um, I'll admit I was a little disheartened, but listening to your podcast and others, I realized that this is just part of the process. At this point, I'm looking to GA for an opportunity to bridge the gap. General aviation is a... Uh, opportunity to bridge the gap between my hours and experience now with what it will take to apply directly into one of the Australian regionals. I'm finding this type of work difficult to find also with many companies telling me it's it's a bit quiet at the moment. A few questions for you I'd appreciate help with. What advice could you offer me at this point in my flying career? What can I do to t- make myself as competitive as possible is the second question. Uh, and third, is it worth spending the extra to com- extra money to complete an instructor rating in hopes of securing some work to help me more t- in the future and build more time. Appreciate any advice you can offer as well as the effort you put into the podcast. It is truly a great service you offer to the aviation community, especially those like me trying to break into the industry. Uh, first comment, and I know Eric is jumping at the bent to jump in here. You are on the right track. Do not be discouraged. You have, I can't tell you how many emails I get just like yours, uh, people that look at just the minimums for the airlines and they realize, gosh, they, they, they can get hired with those minimums. Yes, that's true, but 
airlines are not just looking for the minimums. They're looking for for competition. And if there's other people out there that have more hours, that's what you're competing with. I would say, uh, before we talk more, because the other part's going to be a little bit longer, uh, the discussion, I would get the instrument uh, instructor, excuse me, the instructor rating. Always get the instructor ratings, as many as you can, because every time you sit in an airplane, you can teach. And there's many more opportunities it opens up for you to teach. The multi-engine, the single, etc. I have a friend of mine, great friend, who for years would not get his multi-engine instructor's rating. But finally, finally after me convincing him, got his multi-instructor rating. Within about six months, he was flying corporate. So I, I think you are on the right track to making yourself more competitive. But getting back to advice we can offer you and uh, where you are right now, boy, I think, I, I think we need to talk a little bit about that because you really shouldn't be discouraged. Really, you, you, are, you are right there. You're in the right spot. Don't worry. I completely agree. The, the fact that you're in this position where you already know what you want to do, that you have a plan, you're already better off than about 80% of the other people out there. <laughs> like, I really hate my job. I wish I didn't have to do this every day. You have a plan, you have a goal, and that in and of itself is the first step. Um, so congratulations on identifying what you want to do and, and how you want to get there, first of all. Second of all, don't let that bring you down, and you know, the, the rejection letter or whatever. Um, you know, there are there are always going to be people with more experience than you. I have been doing this for a long time. Um, I meet people every day who have more experience in aviation than I do, and that's okay. That's actually a good thing because that, that's opportunities for, me to, for you to learn from. Um, regarding the instructor ratings, absolutely agree that you know becoming a flight instructor is one of the absolute best ways to build flight time. It is usually one of the fastest also. I do caution you, um, if you are not really interested in teaching um, and you just want to put numbers in your logbook, flight instructing is not going to be helpful to you in the sense that you are going to despise your life. Working with new student pilots is a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. And to be completely honest with you, it is a gigantic responsibility. You have to teach them correctly um, because when they go and fly by themselves, uh, they're flying on your certificate. So you have to do it right, and you have to do it right every time, and you have to be in the moment. Um, I've known a lot of people who have become flight instructors so just so they can build flight time, and they are lousy flight instructors. They don't like the job. The students know they don't like the job. The students don't want to fly with them. I'm not saying that to you. I'm just saying, um, you know, I tell my students the same thing. You know, you all want to become flight instructors so you can put time in your logbook. Now, again, it is a very useful way to put time in your logbook, and that can be one of your motivations. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be motivated to build time. Of course you should be. Make sure that you are getting into it for more than just that because the time you're going to build and the money you're going to make, if that's your only goal in going in, is not going to be enough to satisfy you from what you're going to have to, from what you're going to, have to do, the effort you're going to have to expend to do that job correctly. That's, and Carl can probably talk to that too. Um, it's you know becoming an instructor to build time, great idea. But there's more to that job than sitting in an airplane and kind of slumping over on the window while somebody flies the airplane. You have to be there in the moment 110% of the time. You're running your mouth. You're watching the airplane. You're watching for other airplanes. It's a busy job. It's a hectic job. It takes a lot of time. But it's also, as I said when I started, one of the most rewarding things you will ever do with your life if you're correctly motivated and going into it. You know, I, I'm actually going to let somebody else speak towards uh, the instruction and uh, the benefits to you and also to the industry because between the, this email and this podcast, he actually, I responded to him, and he had some 
encouraging words from a friend of his. And you know what? I think your friend uh, may have said it best. Uh, he gave you an idea of what you should do. You're moving towards that goal. You've got some things laid out as to what you're going to do. But he talked to a pilot, another friend that's a pilot. He actually gave you some incredible advice, and I want to read this. Uh, this is a response to an email I sent. It says, one thing, this is the response, one thing that this person said that reminded me of you was he said, quote, even though you're just starting out, try to find a way you can contribute to the industry, especially if it involves those coming up behind you. Instructing will help you achieve this easily. That there is the attitude you should have, is helping people in this industry, and we are applauding that right now. It's, that is an incredible comment, and uh, I wish I could have said that in those words. So your friend is spot on. He really, he, you, you really need to tell him thank you. Thank you for that comment, because I think if people had that attitude towards flight instruction, we wouldn't have some of the issues we have right now with people getting burnt out with instructing. You should be looking at the student that you're teaching as somebody that you are bringing up through this industry and somebody and and you're doing a job that's incredibly important because someday that person is going to be flying his friends his family and possibly your friends and your family or you around the country so i think that's incredibly important it's a wonderful statement he continues an email by the way if i ever make it to sydney australia let me know i think i will be there actually i'm i'm planning on it i was supposed to go this year but uh, there's some uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. It's a podcast. There's some wonderful people down there, and I really want to go visit with them. Dying to try. I love to try beers from all over the world. I'm dying to try some some Australian beers. They say that Foster's is, is not actually Australian. That's the stuff they sell to us Americans here. <laughs> so I'm dying to see that. But uh, that, that is some absolutely wonderful advice. And I just want to thank Carl in advance for that buddy pass that he's going to get me to uh, go down to Australia with him. You know, we should do an uh, Aviation Careers podcast down there. You know, the, the Australian market, it's, it's also the same kind of flying. You're doing some incredible flying around the world. It's uh, very similar. The, the, uh, as a matter of fact, we've worked on a few in, in interviews, I should say, down there. And they'll be coming up here shortly now that I have somebody helping out. By the way, that's... I have somebody helping out with, with the uh, scholarships, but there are also that person, that assistant, his name's Russ, is helping me with other things like your comments and questions. Keep them coming in at feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. By the way, too, if you have a, a story that you want to tell, send it in. We will take out like we do here. Take out your name uh, in your situation, and I really think that you should do that. You should actually send that in to encourage other people. What, what is it you've overcome not, not just one step. What step have you made? I always tell people to write in, please let me know what step you've taken. Well, what have you overcome? And, and how did you do that to get further in your aviation career? I, I think that's, that would help me continue on doing this and also help other people continue throughout your career. So this is a wonderful conversation that we can have. Uh, again, it's, it's, been, it's been really wonderful for me to be able to uh, to bring this to you as we approach you know 100,000 downloads and, and it's a it's a wonderful milestone here so hopefully the next uh, 100,000 will be just the same and have some more more impact on people's lives here's here's another question moving on to it comes from actually a friend of mine wants to know what he needs to do okay what he did is this he left the airline industry and he got into another of my favorite industries 
and uh, it was in the, the food and beverage industry, and he absolutely loves that, but you know what? He left, just like a lot of people say, oh, I, you know, I'm sick of flying, I want to get out. They get out, and they realize they loved flying, they miss flying, and he wants to get back into it. So he wants to know this. Uh, should he go the regional or the corporate route, and uh, given the opportunity, what should he do? Because he has an opportunity to fly a, a corporate aircraft. Uh, what, what do I think? Well, personally, it, it really is helpful to have the Part 121 experience that you'll get at regional, the airline experience. Uh, I will say this. There are some uh, airlines out there that do like corporate pilots, and uh, especially if it's a very customer-oriented type of airline. There are those out there, and they really enjoy corporate pilots because they interact well with the passengers. Some airlines, they don't interact quite as much with their passengers, so it's not as big of an issue. I've said in the past that some airlines have an issue with verifying your time, especially as a co-pilot, but uh, that isn't uh, always the case. But there are some people, and there's a few of them, that think that you're padding your logbook or whatever when you're a corporate pilot and you're just swinging gear. And I don't think that's always true. I I don't think we should look at it that way. But yes, uh, you should go the regional airline route and quick get back into the airlines as quick as possible or get hired by a major as quick as possible. My, uh, I know a a F-16 pilot who left the industry for about 10 years, he was a computer consultant for 10 years, went to work for a regional airline, flying a regional jet, and then went to the majors. And this is an F-16 pilot that had a lot of experience uh, and now he's back at the regionals and over to a major. And I think that's, I think that's the best way to go. Any comments there? Uh? You know, it's hard for me to really – that's a tough one. Jeez. Um, I, just, I love flying corporate. I'm a, I'm a fan of corporate flying. I actually got a ridiculously good offer a couple of months ago to go fly a King Air C90, which is a great airplane. And, you know – at another time in my life, I would have snatched that up in a heartbeat, um, but I I love what I'm doing now. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know, when you're looking at coming back into aviation and you're looking at, you know, do I go to the regionals um, or do I try to go corporate? If you've got a sure thing corporate, in my opinion, I would do it just because at the onset, you are more than likely, and by more than likely, I mean like 95% probably going to get paid more than you're going to get paid starting out at the regionals again at the bottom. Um, and, you know, get your recency of experience back up, you know, get back in the flow and, and then make a decision. That's my, my advice, but don't, don't take me to the bank on that one. That's just, that's what I would do. That's good advice, Eric. I like that. Okay. Moving on to the, to our last question, actually, before we have to get going here and we're almost at that hour mark already. Can you believe that? Gosh, uh, by the way, there are more questions. I know they've been sent in. I will get back to you on those. And, uh, what I try to do is write you a short email and then include it here in the show. The next one's going to be a, a little bit different. It comes in from somebody who's in the military and we're not really going to talk about his, uh, personal background other than he flies unmanned aircraft and, was a fighter pilot at one point. Actually, there's more than one of you that have written in about this question, and your specifics aren't exactly the same, but uh, one of the things that is the same is the fact that you want to know what to do should you apply to the airlines even though you don't meet the minimum. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Prior to even getting the 1,500 hours, because he had heard on this podcast and other places that even though you don't have the minimums, you should apply just to get on your radar. I will say yes, you better apply because it's a fact that certain airlines, obviously the regionals, will hire you without the minimums and say, okay, you need to get your minimum six months to a year from now, but we, we need you, so we'll hire you. 
definitely get on their radar. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a push right now to hire veterans, military veterans, and that is beneficial to the company, and that's beneficial to you. So I, whenever you see a military job fair pop up, I would definitely go towards that. As a matter of fact, I'm working right now with an individual about military jobs and military fairs. Uh, I think there is a website out there that has some of them, but it's not quite as complete as I like. So I might start doing that also with the uh, with the scholarships, as putting it towards a listing of different military job fairs that are out there. Those are wonderful. Uh, you can go in there and talk to the folks that have been in the military that are doing the jobs that you want. By the way, those job fairs, we talked about piloting jobs. There's a lot for mechanic jobs and other control jobs out there, too. Uh, as far as air traffic control, of course, uh, they FAA has some really good job fairs. So I'll try to get a little bit of that together for you. Uh, that's a new project for us, and we'll see what we can do there. Just on the subject of job fairs, uh, while it's on my mind, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, whatever, I can't do math. The um, When you get to Sun and Fun this year, Wednesday of Sun and Fun, which would be the 3rd of April, I believe. Is that right? I think so. First through the 6th. First, first through the 6th of the show. It starts on a Tuesday, so um, Wednesday would be the 2nd. Okay. Sun and Fun is having their first ever college and job fair, which is a huge deal. Lots of vendors coming in to um, to talk about job opportunities and also collegiate uh, institutions talking about uh, training opportunities within aviation. So um, pilots, mechanics, uh, dispatchers, the whole gamut. Um, and if you want more information about that, go to Sun and Fun's website and look it up. But um, while we're here and we're talking about uh, the opportunity to go out and see who's hiring and get to, uh, you know, exchange a re- you know, give a resume, have a conversation with a recruiter. And again, just like the person who wrote in earlier, it's it's not always about getting a job that day. It's 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 just as much about the experience and the practice and understanding how it works from the inside. I think you'd find that useful. So if you're going to be at Sun and Fun anyway, and uh, you're kind of in that market, you might want to think about uh, coming in for the college and job fair. Great point. As a matter of fact, if you're going to continue to go to Sun and Fun, I think they're going to continue that you know, for years from now. So if you're listening to this for a year from now, definitely look up on uh, Sun and Fun's website. They have a lot of different things out there. There's a lot of job fairs for uh, military folks. As a matter of fact, another thing, too, uh, I'd like your opinion on this, the military folks or anybody really that's listening. Uh, we're, we're thinking of moving more towards another section of the website. I talked about job fairs and things like that, uh, just military and the military transition. Let me know if you, you'd like that, if you'd like to hear more about military and how to transition from flying uh, fighter, from flying tankers into the, the career field of the, as far as uh, what's unique to the military pilots. I've worked with a lot of military folks in the past trying to find their jobs, especially the ones that went from the military to the airlines and then were furloughed. Those are the people that I've talked to and worked with. Uh, Fortunately, most of the folks I've been able to work with in the past uh, got jobs back in in the military. Some didn't want to go back or couldn't go back, and they went to flying jobs that were in civilian world and it was wonderful they absolutely loved it so i really i'd like to hear your feedback on that one what's interesting is this for those of you listening that aren't in the military is that if you as you can tell through these questions uh you're you're looking at 
fighter pilots and you're looking at tanker pilots right in and wondering what they should do as far as leaving the military and, and transitioning. The same questions they have are similar to your questions if you're in the civilian world. What do I need to do for my next move? And that's what we're trying to help you do here. But what's important is you have to figure it out for yourself. We give you many suggestions here, but there's, there's a lot of things that are involved in your life and your unique situation which might tell you, no, I, I don't want to leave the military. Uh, I occasionally say, you know, my, my wife was in the military for eight years in the Navy, and there are a lot of times she says, boy, I should have stayed in, you know, and, and we look back at it and say, gosh, I should have got my retirement, but then again, she wouldn't have been able to be where she is now, and so there's, there's coulda, shoulda, woulda, um, but if you feel that that's what you want to do is stay in and get your retirement, that's great, but you look at the people and your friends going out to the civilian world and flying for the airlines, uh, that actually is, is a great lifestyle, and they're growing, the population's growing, the military uh, has been, from everybody that I've talked to, my friends in the military and even you that have written in, uh, some of my roommates, they've said that there's a lot of shrinkage as far as the, the number of people flying airplanes. My buddy flying in an A-10, he, uh, he said, you know what, the only thing they're doing in A-10s right now are training flights. Uh, they're not doing much more with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're going to phase those out eventually. So, yes, the, the things that you're going through as a civilian – you're doing the same as a military pilot. If you're a military pilot, boy, uh, you have a lot of decisions to make. Do what's best for your family. You, you know, what's interesting, if you're listening and you're a military pilot, you listen to all these people talk about the fact that they're going away for a couple of days, et cetera. You go away for a lot longer, and you stay away, and you don't have the constant contact that, that we have as civilians. So that is something that you have really given up uh, for this country, and I, I really do appreciate that. And this is our way of giving back. You know, I, I didn't actually serve, even though I was born in a military hospital. I wasn't, didn't actually serve in the military, but uh, this is just our little part of giving back and appreciating what our veterans have done for this and uh, have keep, kept our, our country in this world, uh, most parts of this world, free and have given us the ability to, to grow an economy and to, to have the freedoms we have here. And don't ever forget that's what, what you've done and been a part of, and I, th- I really appreciate that. Moving on to his, I responded to this person in an email. One of the things that he uh, talked about as far as finding jobs online were some w- websites. I'm not really going to mention those websites because I, I haven't vetted them, but uh, there's, there are a couple out there that have the gouge, quote-unquote, for different airlines, and they're, uh, they're pretty cool out there. I, I wouldn't mention one, Airline Pilot Central. That's kind of cool, but uh, we're, we're gonna, there's other ones that I need to look at and vet those and make sure they're good. I'll give you some links to those. Uh, one thing they have to understand is a lot of these bulletin boards that we listen to uh they can actually <laughs> they can they can be a lot of ranting that's going on there and and i think we've warned in the past that you know try to try to talk to somebody who's who's not somebody who's hiding behind a a uh, or who's using i should say not hiding using an anonymous name uh because sometimes the truth comes out when you're when you're using a an anonymous name sometimes it doesn't so that's that's the risk you take with an anonymous name there he did there was another thing that uh, this gentleman uh talking about the the person that moving from the airlines on we don't have much time but i i do want to answer this one here uh he has a question about airline training and pay uh and, and wants to know if it's by the hour and should he plan on a few months at lower pay uh, than a first-year officer, that type of thing. Okay, so here's the answer to that uh, in a nutshell. It depends. It depends on which airline you go to, but in general, uh, you're going to get paid your first-year pay from day one. 
Uh, there are airlines out there that don't do that. There's airlines that give you what's called a stipend and training pay. So you might just get that training pay when you start. And that training pay is, uh, is pretty dramatically low. People told me I got paid. I didn't even know it on my first paycheck when I started with the airlines. So uh, just, just to give you an idea how low it is, I was like, wow, you know, that won't even pay a car payment, that type of thing. So, yeah, in the training environment, you gotta, you just got to be ready for that. They call it the salad days. They've called it for years that way. Uh, you know, you're always going to make low pay in the beginning. Uh, so be, be planning for the fact that you, you shouldn't be buying that new boat you know, or that new airplane. Uh, if you hear heard me on here, I've sold everything. I sold the plane, the boat, the the motor home, and uh, honestly, it's uh, it was it was a relief too to get away from those payments. But because uh, a lot of times you start making more money, you start uh, spending more money. So I really appreciate that. I really I, I do appreciate all these questions. Uh, Eric also loves loves these questions that we put in here. We're gonna give you an opportunity to ask more. Uh, we're gonna have this. We're gonna have to stop here because it is at that hour mark. And of course, when when Eric and I get started talking, we we can talk on for hours and hours and hours. One thing I want you to do is is do two things for me. Number one, think about what you could do as far as your next step towards your career goal. Make that step. If you want to share that with us, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact page. Uh, you have any feedback, uh, just send it to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, the easiest way to contact me, uh, again, is just go to Aviation Careers Podcast. If you have any questions or you want to try to actually schedule an interview, say you're somebody that's listening to this that has something that they want to contribute, not just a story that you want to write in. Say you want to contribute and tell your story, and, and we've had that happen with past guests, and you want to be on here, we'll do that. If, you ha- if you're in a position where uh, whatever you're doing it has to be kept secret, Write us, and uh, we'll share that information, but not your personal information or anything about that situation. Say you're a UAV pilot and you want to share your story, um, and you don't want to reveal your employer or the government agency you work for, we can do that for you. Uh, again, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. And, uh, and if you like this podcast, think about becoming a member. Think about signing up for our annual membership. We do have a lot of things coming down the pike. This is a really, really exciting uh, venture for me. As a matter of fact, when this comes out, uh, we're recording this a couple weeks in advance. We're going to have a, uh, I won't give it away. Uh, I, there's a large announcement coming out, uh, coming up uh, the first day of Sun and Fun. So go to sunandfun.org. We're going to be announcing it on April 1st of 2014. And it's uh, it's a project that I've always wanted to do. To do and it's, uh, I'm, gosh, giving up a lot of, of the other niceties like airplanes and boats just to be able to do this. But I think it's going to be something that's going to help the aviation community. Uh, you know, you talk about you know what what airline pilots do with their their money when they start making more because now that I'm getting more seniority, making more money. Usually we buy boats and and I tend to do things in aviation to give back. So that's going to be quite exciting. So that's how you can find us uh, or find me. Of course, you can find Eric there. But Eric also has a contact he wants to share with you uh, on the internet, so you can find him. Sure. If you're interested in collegiate aviation, we'll at least ask that you give us a look at Polk State College Aerospace. You can find us on the web at polk, P-O-L-K dot E-D-U slash aerospace. And Carl promises me he will provide a link to you on the uh, comments for this uh, for this podcast so you can find that. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can always find me on the Twitter, at symbol C Eric Go S-E-E-E-R-I-C-G-O. Um, and you can also find our college program on the Twitter as well, at symbol Polk Aerospace. Love to talk to you about aviation. And uh, I, actually, before before I let Carl close this, I just wanted to say thank you so much, um, especially to you, Lisa, for your support and your appreciation of my love for almonds. I have received 
tons of user feedback um, from my last podcast with Carl, where you know Carl just completely dashed all my hopes as a human being in the future of humanity when he uh, when he said uh, that he did not care for almonds. And I want to thank you, Lisa, especially. And, and your fellow compatriots who were compassionate about my love for almonds. Now Carl's like laughing under the table over there. Thank you. All of you guys who write me individually, I really appreciate it. I, I do like the ability to, to correspond with you on a more personal level. I like talking to Carl, and, and, and you can benefit from the information, but I love being able to have that dialogue. So look me up uh, online if you wish. I'm more than happy to talk to you. And also, if you're, you're also a, a non-lover of almonds, I'd like to hear from you. No, I'm just joking. The, you know, that's, it, it's interesting how, the, how those things get started. But, but seriously, you know, if you want to get in touch with them, too, just send me an email at aviationcruisepodcast.com slash content, uh, contact, excuse me, uh, and, and let me know what your love of aviation is and uh, also what questions you have. I'll forward them on to, to Eric and, uh, you know, it's funny, everybody is different in this life. We joke about almonds and, and my dislike for almonds, but there's a, there's a career out there for you. There's certain parts of that career you may not like, uh, just like I don't like eating almonds. That's just a simple example. And uh, you'll, But you'll find that. You'll find the one career that you enjoy and the one thing in that career that you enjoy and that path that you want to go down. And, the, and, and remember this when you're going down that path, is remember, just like someone said, Give back. Give back to the community. Give back to the aviation community. Whatever community you're in, uh, it really is something that will motivate you. It motivates me uh, by doing this podcast to give back to the aviation community. It'll motivate you, and it'll actually make it'll really quicken your your path, and it'll quicken your 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 finding the actual goal that you want to find in this career. Uh, you may not know exactly what that is, uh, but once you find something that that will help somebody else really does change things. It really, really does. So I think you should look towards that. I, I know you can do it. I know that all those listening today, uh, some are discouraged by what's happened to them in, in the past week, or somebody has, has reached a goal, and they're just jumping up and down. No matter what point you are in your career, uh, what point you are in your life right now, just keep remembering to look forward, and everything right now is temporary. Uh, it'll change, and uh, if you're looking for something, you're an airline pilot listening right now, and you're looking for some type of change, give back. Do something like this, write in, uh, give somebody some hope in the career, uh, let them know what it's really like to be an airline pilot, What's it, what it's really like to be a flight attendant, what it's really like to be a mechanic at an airline. Uh, really appreciate that, and if you could, write us and go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, give us some feedback. We really love listening to your stories. Well, folks, I really appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you again next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.